Welcome to Mormons on Mushrooms. In this podcast, we discuss alternative methods for healing from trauma and seeking a fulfilling life. We often discuss triggering topics, and we ask that you make your personal mental health a priority. In addition, the opinions offered by our guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of the hosts of this podcast. If you'd like to support the program, please visit www.patreon.com forward slash Mormons on Mushrooms. Thank you for listening and enjoy. Benjamin, so guys, I know, I mean, it's Wednesday at eight o'clock. I can't believe you're willing to do this with us. So oh, thank no, of you. Course. Yeah, no, it's a, it's an honor. I appreciate the interest. Um, I do have to say that I've, I've got to be done by nine o'clock because I've got to watch the third episode of uh, the Hemingway documentary. I'm Dude, same. Are you loving that as much as I am? Yeah, I'm so inspired by it too. He's a kind of a, he's a bit of a shithead sometimes, but um, uh, it's just, uh, you know, I always wanted to be a writer. That was like always my, still my great dream. And to um, learn so much about the journey of a writer that I've long admired and is actually like figured in my life in a really weird way um, is, uh, you know, it's just his hard work, you know, and his accomplishments, uh, his intelligence. It's, 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 a, and it's really well done, I think. Well, and his, uh, how hard he is on himself. I think a lot of people, when they think about Hemingway, they think of like the, like the pinnacle of machismo, right? I mean, he's mm -hmm. just the man's man type of thing, but in his, in those journals that they read and, and just some of the things that he said, and, and I, I mean, I love Hemingway and I, I've, I've, I've read, I mean, if I can get my hands on a scrap of paper that he wrote just a sentence, I'll read it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. But just to hear his self doubt and then to just be like, you know what? We got people coming in and out of the house. We, I'm trying to make it as a writer. It's kind of tough. And I just thought to myself, stop trying to write a novel, write one true sentence. And I'm just like, mm. God damn, man. I, uh, yeah. I was sitting around a fire and and I'll tell this story real quickly and then we can commence if you'd like. But I was you don't have to be quick because I'm loving this right now. <laughs> <laughs> I was sitting around a fire recently um, talking with a friend and his, his partner. And this friend of mine has this idea that the worst thing in the world you can be is a fraud and a failure um, because then you're not just like not yourself you're also failing at being not yourself which is even worse so a fraud failure is the worst thing you can be and he told me this like a year ago for a uh, he came over for a holiday party and he laid this out and then i and like i sat with that for a while afterwards and i was like shit i'm a fraud failure like I've definitely been a fraud failure and I didn't see him for another year. And we got together recently, we were hanging around the fire and I said, you know, you, you mentioned this last time uh, about fraud failures. And you know, I have to say that like, I've really hit home. I know you weren't trying to like indict me or anything, but I definitely felt uh, that that described me in, in uncomfortable ways. And he's like, Oh yeah, I didn't mean that. I was like, yeah, I know, but it was important for me to hear like, because when I woke up to that, fact it was so uncomfortable and so unpleasant i was like okay well i now i just have to do everything i can to not be a fraud failure anymore and we were talking and then his partner asked me 
Ben, do you think everybody feels like a fraud failure? I was like, huh, well, that's an interesting question. Like, does everybody feel like a fraud failure? I know that like a lot of the people that I look up to when I've spoken with them about uh, feelings of inadequacy, feelings like um, you're going to get found out, like somebody's going to finally find out that like you're not everything you said you were or you performed, you know, that role. Um, that that like that could like that's the like the, the biggest fear and everybody has it so like yep. she might be right maybe everybody does feel like a fraud failure at some point in their lives i don't think you feel when you're young i think it's something that comes happens when you're you get older but. can i add one thing to that because this kind of speaking of mormons on mushrooms my second mushroom trip i ever did i went down this this so stuff stuff was coming up with work and i was going down this rabbit hole of imposter syndrome. Mm. Like finally someone's going to find out that I've been coasting this whole time at my job or like, I'm not really cut out for it. And staring down into like this rabbit hole of like uh, this abyss of like imposter syndrome, like, Oh, there's no end to that. But one of the cool things is when I talk about this all the time with the podcast, I have so many insecurities and I get so, I get nervous before every episode almost. This one, I'm coming in a little hot because I had a birthday happy hour. And <laughs> <Happy birthday. laughs> Tomorrow, tomorrow's tomorrow. Yeah. Oh, And wow. so at work, we had a birthday happy hour. So I've, I've had a couple of hard kombuchas and <laughs> <laughs> by flying embers, by the way, who might sponsor us someday, maybe. <laughs> um, no, but what I'm saying is I have so many insecurities about the podcast but I don't feel like a fraud with the podcast. I don't know what that is. Like, I don't feel like, I don't know. Well, based on what I've, what I've, especially when you guys were talking about your podcast in the early episodes, it sounded to me like it was really driven by your sincere interest in the subject. And if you're following your sincere heartfelt interest in anything, there's nothing more genuine than that. And I think that's something that artists and creators of any type are often struggling with is like, does this thing that I'm doing, does this thing that I'm spending so much time on and asking people to give their attention to as well, does it really reflect what I want to put out into the world and having the conviction of, of that belief in your idea and what matters to you uh, when, when you really do have that, uh, those are the most powerful creations in our, in our cultures, in our societies, in our worlds, and they resonate. They don't just resonate with you, they resonate with others. And I think that's the best indication that, you know, you're, um, you're not, you're, you're not a fraud. You're not a failure because if it, if it didn't ring true to you, you wouldn't keep doing it. And if it didn't ring, and if it didn't ring true to you, that I, I believe that would come across as well to others. I, I write, I read stuff that I've written before. And I could be thinking about Hemingway, right? Like that, I was thinking about this today. I was walking home, write that one, two sentence. And I was thinking about this poem I wrote. It's like, that's not true at all. That's just like stuff I pulled out of my ass. Um, It's fun stuff. uh, But what does it mean? Uh, And should I share it with others? I mean, should we just keep, we really want to hear like, (laughs) honestly, we we had a whole plan, but should we just keep going down this path? Because this is like, touching some stuff that I've been really, really 
focusing on lately. Let's, and let's explore it for at least a few more minutes. If you have some stuff there and then we can get into, cause yeah, uh, I, I, I don't have, I don't know that I can like wrap it up. I, I think it's just, mm. I, I love hearing that you all are feeling, I would love to hear Shalise, what your take on this, because from my viewpoint, Shalise, you just li- you, you live your dream. Like you're everything that you are, you're so uh, genuine and sincere and you're doing the thing that you want to be doing. And I'm just like, man, does she feel these feelings that I feel? Cause Aww. it will, I mean, I'm not trying to like butter you up here, but, but a lot of times on the podcast, we'll get to a point where Mike's speechless. I'm speechless. The guest has just dropped some kind of big old knowledge <laughs> on us or some kind of big old thing. And we're all just like sitting there like, uh, where do we go from here? And Shalice, you take it and you like, just pour your heart out. And I'm so, I'm interested. Do you feel any of this shit we're talking about? or is, is <laughs> All the time. And what you're talking about, that's just skills I've learned through acting, where you figure out something you want to say, and then you can make anything, any sentence fit into it. <laughs> so. Man, but acting is, isn't, I mean, acting is telling the truth. Like the, in, in some of the only very few places that you can tell the truth. Writing is one of those places. Music is one of those places. Acting is one of those places. A podcast is one of those places. Well, yeah, this podcast is like safe space for me where I can just tell my, my truth instead of being a different, like being the version of me that I've built expectations for from, mm-hmm. you know, coworkers, friends, family, in-laws, all that kind of stuff. And so it's just... Man, I, I feel like this topic, we could do three episodes yeah. about imposter syndrome and about everyone, you know, everyone's looking outward instead of looking inward. And Benjamin, it's weird for us to hear you talking about that because you said, oh, I, I just, I, I felt, you know, we're sitting around the campfire and I, I feel like, oh, I'm a fraud failure. And I'm like, dude, when we first got contacted with you, we all started Google stalking you and looking at your Twitter and looking <laughs> at what little things that you had barbecued up or cooked up or whatever and reading on. And it's just like, if this guy feels this way, what fucking chance do the rest of us ever have? <laughs> I think it's definitely a topic worth exploring because, and I, I definitely feel that way too. So yes, Doug, I am human. <laughs> just, oh, you're Well, I don't, I don't know that I quite believe that yet. No. Yeah. Human slash alien, but it does happen to me too. And as I'm sitting here thinking about it, I think it all just stems from dipping into ego because the ego doesn't want us to say anything that might change our outward circumstances because change equals fear equals death and all the things that the ego is scared of. And so, yeah, I think it usually when the podcast flows the most, it's because we're dropped into our present heart space and that's when things just come out naturally and we're not afraid of, well, if I say this and that means that we just kind of go with it. I would, I would, Jumping off of something that Doug was talking about there, I think fraud failureism is a result of ha- being a dreamer, of having ambitions. Um, if you don't dream, if you don't see something beyond yourself or, or um, see some, um, I mean, this is like, this is, it's, it's both like, positive and negative, right? To like, to cast yourself forward and say like, this is the thing like I want, this is the thing I want to be, this is the thing I want to achieve in my life. Because that, that yearning creates dissatisfaction and that attachment to that dream creates dissatisfaction when you're not realizing it. I uh, um, watched this film, Martin Eden, and it's based on a, uh, 
uh, Jack London novel of the same name. It was a really great film. And it's an Italian film that just came out uh, last year. It's really great. I really highly recommend it. But Martin Eden wanted to be a writer and he, want, he wanted to be a writer so that he could impress this, um, this beautiful, wealthy young woman that he'd met. And he, he, I guess I'm going to spoil the story a little bit. He, he works his ass off. He becomes a great writer gets highly respected. And he's deeply, deeply, deeply unhappy. He is just like existentially in, in torpor. He's just, he's in the bottom of the, of the, of the realms. And that's the end of the story. <laughs> but then the following day, my buddy sent me a two panel cartoon that summed up this three and a half hour Italian film and this Jack London novel in two panels where a duck says, I'll be happy when I'm successful. And in the next panel, the duck is wearing a tie and he just goes, hmm. <laughs> 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 right? Like when, when, when are you successful? When, 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 when are you achieving your dream? How do you know when that is? It's, it's impossible. So those, oh but gosh. if, but if you're not attached to the dream, um, maybe you're happy. I don't know. How does that, you know, sit with you guys? Right, right crowd. <laughs> this is a, yeah, this is a topic we, we talk about a lot. I, it's funny. I saw this, uh, within the last couple of days, I feel like and I'm going to misquote it, but I feel like Jim Carrey of all people said something along the lines of my greatest wish is that every single person could have all of their wildest dreams come true so that they could discover that that's not where they'll find happiness. Like it's it, mm. like depth from Jim. K it's like, wow. Uh, thank you, Jim Carrey for making me cry in the middle of the day on a Monday. You know, what I mean? <laughs> it's crazy, but yeah, I, I totally agree with that. I plus our, 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 our value systems and our, our definition of success is constantly changing. And so we're, we're constantly striving towards a different golden ring. I am what I wanted to be when I was 22 years old. I'm all the things I wanted to be when I was 22 years old. Mm. Problem is, I don't give a shit about any of those things right now. <laughs> now that I'm 40, I'm like, oh, I, if I could do it again, I don't want any of that stuff. You know, it's it's a it's a moving target. I think that's and the I best part, though. I, I think that's the best part is just doing whatever makes you happy in the moment. And if later it doesn't make you happy, then do something different. And I think that's the beauty about finding success. I would say that success is when you find happiness and what is happiness being content, being present, um, doing the little things. But I think a lot of us oftentimes put happiness outside of ourselves. We say, I'll be happy when I'll be happy. If instead of just, I am happy and finding things that do make you feel at peace in the moment. Well, let me see if I can just tie us back here and get us because because I got a thought in this and a lot of this comes in. Benjamin, first of all, I, I, are you do you have any affiliation with the Mormon church at all or like any were you Mormon or? No, uh, my affiliation with the Mormon church is uh, being born and raised in Salt Lake City, uh, yeah. being a native. So uh, my my. Um, my affiliation with the Mormon church is, is basically as uh, uh, Scott Carrier, the writer, uh, the writer uh, called himself a prisoner of Zion. Um, oh, yeah. And that's uh, <laughs> oh, yeah. the kind of, that. that's, I think that's how, more how it felt when I was growing up. Um, I, I started a, 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 I was a college radio DJ and my, when I did my first show, 
I called it from behind the Zion curtain that I, oh, I went to school in yeah. Vermont. And so like I passed through the Zion curtain and now I was like out in the outside world, but I was living behind it, which it very much felt like growing up here uh, in the, in the eighties and nineties. Um, so my, my knowledge of Mormonism was uh, mostly informed by uh, just the, the, the animosity that bubbled up uh, among the Gentiles in this, in, in this state uh, for, for the longest time, because it was, you were either Mormon or you were not Mormon. That was the dichotomy. Mm-hmm. And if you weren't Mormon, it was, it was almost as unifying an identity as being Mormon was. And so everybody, um, uh, you would come together and you would share kind of anti-Mormon stories and anti-Mormon sentiment frequently. Um, and then you'd go to work. Uh, with your Mormon colleagues, or uh, I went to Catholic school, so I didn't go to school with with uh, Mormons. Um, lived next door to them, um, and then I got my job at Radio West ten years ago, and that has been a real boot camp in Mormon history, in Mormon belief, Mormon theology, Mormon culture, uh, anti-Mormon sentiment, um, Mormon confusion, Mormon uh, dis. Uh, disaffiliation and, and yeah, it's been, it's been quite, and that's kind of what this project was for me mm. um, in this exploring the XLDS and the ex-Mormon connection to psychedelics was I got to learn a hell of a lot more about Mormonism um, and some of the intricacies of how people lived it and what it meant to them, even though they're not, they don't uh, affiliate with the church anymore. Um, I feel like, um, Mormonism is very much cultural as well, though. Um, oh yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, um, yeah. I just want to clarify that, and I want to circle, and then we'll go back to like your research because that's why we're here to talk about. <laughs> but I just wanted to say that, you know, obviously, you know, even never Mormons are self imposter syndrome, and you know, I think there's a Western and probably a lot of people in Western culture with very doing, very driven, um, but Mormonism in, in particular. And I think that's why so many ex-Mormons are gravitating towards other modalities and plant medicine and other things is because we were given a script our whole lives. We were yeah. told this is how you need to be, whether you're a man or a woman, woman, you need to be in the home, caretaker, mother, your man, you need to be an accountant, a dentist, or a lawyer, pretty much. Yeah, you need to make enough money to support your family and or a businessman and make a and sell your business, make millions of dollars and be a mission president the rest of your life or whatever, you know, <laughs> like we're given a script. And, um, you know, I've said this before in the podcast, but I always felt like I was a square peg in a square hole. But really, I just didn't know what I was. I would have fit whatever shape they wanted me to be. They wanted mm-hmm. me to be a circle. I would have been a circle, you know, but I didn't know my true self. And so I think I that imposter syndrome is strong especially after leaving the church, because I don't know who I am. I would, the church was the mask, the identity I was given. And then that gets stripped away. I'm like, who, who am I now? Yeah. And so of course I would, I feel like an imposter in my accountant role that I took just because I wanted to make enough money to support a family, even though it didn't call to me at all. Hmm. Or called, I don't know if it calls to anyone. Does it mean it can't be called to anyone? <laughs> So, so where does that pressure come from? Is that cultural pressure to fill, to, to uh, play to that script? 
and fulfill those roles? Or is it is it religious pressure? One and the same in Mormonism. Mm. Yeah, that, that that's a that's a thing to really wrestle with because it it also it has some recency bias to it. Um, you know, when Mike makes the joke about if you want to be a successful Mormon, you got to build a business and sell it and become rich, or you got to be an accountant, or you got to be a dentist, or you got to be a lawyer. Um, not only is that religious and cultural, but it's, I think it's also a byproduct of Mormonism sort of attached itself to, you know, with, with people like Cleon Skousen and Ezra Taft Benson. And as, as, as affiliated as they were politically, that sort of became an identity, a side identity for Mormonism as well. So as we saw sort of like from moving from the, 60s and 70s into sort of the age of greed and the age of, you know, kind of bumping up against the uh, techno, the technology revolution, you know, you got like things like, and I'm not speaking politically here for our listeners who don't want me to speak politically. I'm, I'm solely talking about the ushering in of what I would call Reaganomics, the, the, uh, the, the conservative answer to, FDR's New Deal. I mean, I mean, so you, you know, we have the we have the New Deal, and we have all these social programs, and then you have the uh, alternative decade of the '60s where people are freeing their minds up a little bit, free love, all this kind of thing. And then there's a there's a power struggle there, and the, that power struggle is that the wealthy and the elite want to take back some of the control that they had lost over the last three or four decades, and that's that's why Reagan was such a a perfect avatar for them because he had done all of the things and could bridge those gaps. And he said all of the right things. And, but sneaky, he put, he, he put the people who they felt should be in control. He put them in control. And because Mormonism had um, affiliated through some of its uh, apostles, prophets and higher ups and, and, and notable, you know, re, uh, researchers and that kind of stuff. Mormonism was backed into a corner where that became almost doctrine and almost policy. The con- Reaganomics might as well be in the Book of Mormon as much as uh, as much as Mormons adhere to it as a life philosophy. And so that was a long answer to a question that was a mo- that was a multiple choice question. <laughs> I, I chose essay format, <laughs> but uh, I love it. But that's I mean that's really it. So I'm gonna. I'm going to now do the thing Mike wanted to do, which is, okay, we got to, we, we all, those of us who are, those who are listening, Benjamin Bombard is joining us. He recently produced, he mentioned he works for Radio West and you recently produced a phenomenal piece. And it's a, I mean, what, what do we even, it's a, I'm calling it a piece because it's got, it's a radio show. It's downloadable as a podcast. It's accompanied by, uh, uh, an, an article. I've listened to the, the, I'm calling it the show. I've listened to it three times now. Oh, wow. And it's just a, a gorgeous uh, inspection of Mormons who are leaving the church and finding some kind of spirituality or some kind of answers through plant medicines. That was a big introduction, Benjamin, <laughs> but can you tell us about the reception and what your process was? Uh, just, we, we just hand the mic to you and we just talk some more. 
<laughs> okay, uh, it'll be hard for me not to toss questions your way, your way, because th that is uh, kind of <laughs> the way I'm, I'm programmed now. Um, I uh, so I became interested in the subject when my father-in-law told me about this article, a column that the Salt Lake Tribune writer Robert Gerke had put out about Steve Urquhart in his formation of this mushroom church. I thought that's interesting. We should do a show about Steve Urquhart because Urquhart's great tape, as you know. Awesome. Um, he's Steve. awesome. Steve's he's, one of my favorite people. <laughs> yeah, he's just a beautiful, beautiful person. And his story is, it's crazy. It's, it's, uh, it's like a movie, uh, the transformation that that guy has gone through. Um, so I learned about his mushroom church, and then I attended this conference that they were holding. And it was, we, my family and I, we went on a long walk and I told my wife, she wasn't very happy with this. Like, I'm going to have my earbud in the whole time listening to this conference. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not going to be able to pay as close attention to our son as I'd like to right now. Um, but I was sitting there, it was, and my son was crawling on the rocks and stuff and listening to uh, these, the uh, conference participants. And one after another, it kind of became clear to me that these, that the individuals who were there were, were XLDS and into the psychedelics. And that was something I'd never come across. Um, and of course I'd found, I think I'd found your podcast around the same time. I heard this idea of like uh, of the mushroom church. And so I look up Mormons and mushrooms and you guys have a great podcast name because it comes right up. <laughs> <laughs> it's very smart. Very good. Which marketing. is good because we have no like, Search. We don't know anything about search engine optimization. <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> um, yeah. So then I I talked with our editorial team. I mean, it was a pretty easy sell. Uh, Mormonism is kind of our bread and butter at Radio West. Uh, our Mormon shows perform better than most anything else we do for good reason. I think that um, our host Doug Fabrizio is incredibly well informed about the church. Um, he is skeptical. Uh, and realistic in, I think, his assessment of of the church, its behaviors, um, its past, its um, its present, and its future. Um, and we, I think, we perform a real valuable service. I actually think that our religion coverage is some of the best stuff we ever do, for a lot of those reasons. Um, so I said, "This is psychedelics, and uh, it's psychedelics and Mormons." What do you think? Yeah. Okay. Cool. Go do it. Um, so then I just I. During the conference, I'd reached out to people because it was in Zoom and you could chat with people. So I I just send a bunch of people uh, inquiries saying, hey, I'm reporting this story. Can I talk to you? Can I talk to you? Can I talk to you? And I got a lot of I was really surprised. I didn't think it, people would be as forthcoming um, and eager to talk about their experiences. They were because of the illegal nature of of consuming psychedelics in America. Um, and I guess I had this preconceived notion that uh, Mormons being raised not to break any rules uh, would not want to break the rule of talking about it. Um, so the first person I talked to was this guy, I call him David in the piece. And it was kind of just what I needed to hear because he was tender and vulnerable and real and like 60 years old and he had just the best like Mormon Amer Utah accent. Uh, <laughs> it's just so classic. 
<laughs> we talk about this a lot in Radio West, that there's this very distinctive Utah accent. Oh, yes. Really worried about it going away. Because we <laughs> um, and, and, and David had this, and he had this great story, and he was so uh, touched by his experience on psychedelics, and he was really touched by his experience in Mormonism as well. Um, so then I just proceeded to talk to whoever I could find, including Mike and Doug, um, and uh, they were kind enough to to speak with me as well. And, um, it was really easy once I put, it's kind of like, so as, as some of you may know, um, when you put this intention out there to do psychedelics, the psychedelics find you. Mm -hmm. So when I put this intention out there that I wanted to do a story about ex-Mormons and psychedelics, people came out of the woodwork Uh, and it was, it was like I had to start saying no to people because so many people wanted to talk to me. And I had to like, so then I had like a dozen interviews and then we had to shape it um, into a radio piece, which was kind of like the hardest, one of the hardest things I've ever done. It was really a lot of work and a lot of man hours, but I just really believed in kind of like we were talking about. I just really believed in it. I I don't think I've ever spent, I'm ADD as fuck. And so like, I don't think I've ever spent so long on one project. It took me seven months from conception and pitching to completion. Um, But I really, really believed in it. And the reception was, um, I think like, I would kind of say that it was like basically what I expected (laughs) because Mm -hmm. it just, it had Mormons and psychedelics. Uh, So we talked about afterwards um, that if we ever do a show again, we can just say like, okay, so what's the idea? Well, the idea is like popcorn. Okay. Let's do popcorn and psychedelics, popcorn and drugs. <laughs> it's the world war two. Okay. World war two and drugs. Okay, um, and I, I got so many responses and emails from uh, people in the community who, um, wanted to share their stories. It, it, it uh, I kind of like, probably as you found in doing your podcast as well, it made me a safe space for people to share their stories, um, which uh, I really wish I could, I could keep doing because it is, I became a journalist. I'm talking a lot. That's, um, what, that's what we want. Okay. Yeah. Here for you. I became a journalist because I just love people's stories. Like I'm a chameleon. And when I get to hear somebody else's stories, story, I get to inhabit their life. I get to get out of my skin uh, and be somebody else for a time. And the stories that I heard were people were just so like, like David, they were just so vulnerable and they were so willing to share the most intimate experiences of their lives, of their spiritual lives, of their psychedelic experiences. There were lots of tears um, and just lots of really tender moments. And I was just, touched and uh it's a really deep well as as you guys know um the connection between spirituality the loss of of faith um and the discovery of um a source of healing i mean that's a it's a it's it's you know like you could write a novel about nearly everybody in this community and what they've gone through and where they've come out on the other side it's incredible Wow. Can I just say one thing? I'm like, I'm floating right now. And Mike and Doug, you guys don't even know what's going on right now. So in my last mushroom journey, I was told that I was supposed to be a journalist to write people's stories. 
Oh shit. And were you just saying that? Like, I want to become a journalist or I wanted to become a journalist to write people's stories. I was like, am I having deja vu? (laughs) Talise, you're calling us now. That's fucking amazing. Yeah. We're we're talking to a journalist. We started the conversation talking to a new, a journalist turned great American novelist in Ernest Hemingway. Mm-hmm. I think all the signs are pointing you towards this, uh, this manifestation. So, uh, yeah, this is wild. It's so wild. So I'm just really excited to be here with you, Benjamin. <laughs> yeah, <exactly. laughs> yeah. To hear all of your expertise. Oh man. What kind of blood did you, uh, what about like negative response? I, I don't, I, I hate turning any of this kind of stuff negative, but with an, with a, with a report like that, there's probably got to be some percentage of the population who, you know, it's like that Venn diagram of active Mormon love listening to radio West heard that and felt some level of being attacked, you know, I, I, I guess. Yeah, I did. Um, so I did some, I usually don't pay much attention to the reception that my pieces get. Um, but this one, I was curious to see what people were saying. Cause I know that the, the ex-Mormon community, the, the blogosphere is is very, um, very fervent and very engaged. Huh. And I did find, I came across a, a rather lengthy and involved diegesis, like uh, breaking down my story piece by piece. Well, he's wrong here. Well, he's wrong here. Well, wow. you know, the scriptures say this here. Um, I didn't take it personally uh, at all because uh, this person has their beliefs and, and they are, um, they're, uh, I think they felt, I think they did feel a little attacked. And it was one thing that we really, um, strove for in producing both the written piece and the, the, um, the show, the audio piece was that we wanted to be, uh, very clear that we were talking about the experiences of the people that I talked to and that their experiences do not reflect uh, the experiences of the of the of the ex Mormon community or the Mormon community, we did what we could to make sure that um, we weren't attacking anybody's faith or beliefs. That we were just reflecting back people's experiences as much as possible. Um, and Chalice, that's what you do as a journalist: is people. It's it's incredible the the trust that people put in you to share their stories. I mean, I, this is uh, we talked about imposter syndrome. I, um, I've often felt um, I like a tremendous amount of like guilt for what I do, which is take people's stuff. Like I take some of their life, some of their story, and then I wrap it all up in, in Ben and put it through my processing and then put it back out there and say like this, well, this is what Ben thinks about it. Um, so you have to be, um, it's a challenge and it's scary. I think that to, to be you like that, are you accurately reflecting what you heard from people? And so it was, I think the best feedback I got was the people that I interviewed and whose stories I shared that they felt like they were accurately reflected in what we produced. Um, and I think that that, uh, like that was my greatest hope was that, uh, these people who had shared so deeply with me that they felt like I had wronged them because that, that would feel terrible. That would feel absolutely awful. So this guy who, who took issue with some of the um, contentions with uh, church history or church doctrine, or, or as, as you say, Mike, the, um, the expectations that the 
that membership in the church kind of brings with it that you play these roles. I mean, that's, that's his problem. Um, but I was just glad to hear that the people that I had spoken with were, were pleased with the piece. Well, it's interesting as well with, you know, we talk about the, um, you know, his problem because, um, I don't know if you got this on your mission, Doug, or not, but like, it was always like, bear your testimony because no one can argue with your testimony. All the time. You know, if you get into like, the, you know, and in Brazil, they're like, don't ever go, don't ever participate in Bible bashing. You know, if, if evangelical comes up to you and is like, hey, in Ezekiel chapter 10, this don't, don't engage. Just bear your testimony and walk away. Because yeah. your testimony, they can't argue with that. It's your story. It's your, it's, it's your, it's what resonates with you. And, but I feel like that's what you nailed in this piece. It's like, it, you're not, you're, you're sharing people's stories and their testimonies to the mm -hmm. world. And so it just surprised me that anyone could take issue to that in, in that sense, because yeah, like it's their story. Yeah. yeah that's, that's why it was so rewarding to do the radio piece. And when we first produced it, it was just kind of me um, reiterating people's stories and, and, and um, speaking for them. And then we produced it and I did a whole like hour and a half long cut of it. It took a very long time. And then we did a listening session, um, our editorial team. And Doug was like, you know what you should do is go back in here and you know pop out these stories and let's like build them out. Yeah. And so we got to hear and what I did from there, from there on was just do everything possible that I could to get myself out of the way and foreground the, the subjects, the, the people, and let them really share their stories because they're the experts on the story. I'm not. Um, I'm no expert in Mormonism. I can just share what I've, what I've learned along the way. Um, so it was, it was really rewarding to get to share more and more of their stories. They were they were such great tape. They were just wonderful people. Um, it, it's, a, it's a beautiful piece. And I want to go back to something, Ben, that you said a few minutes ago. You were talking about some of the people's stories who you had told. They uh, got in touch with you and were just, uh, you know, they were telling you what a good job you did. And the, and the phrase you used is um, the way that you had reflected their stories. And I'm just sitting here going, man, we started this talking about write one true sentence and mm -hmm. real art, like real truth telling, not biased, not bearing your testimony, not with a, uh, you know, some kind of slant or intention or, uh, you know, it's not like, oh, people it can't handle me because I'm just blunt. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about real truth telling simply holds a mirror up to the world, right? That's all it is. And yours did such a good job of that. And I think that the positive reaction you got, a guy took a bunch of time to really write out all of his research on why you're wrong and all that kind of stuff. But what he's really doing is he's reacting to the reflection of himself in that, in those truths. And he's saying, you know, someone once told me that um, Mormon apologists are simply apostates that are afraid to come out of the closet, you know? Hmm. And it's, uh, I, I could, I, I want, I could rave about that piece because it captures what we've spent now 40 or whatever it is episodes trying to do, which is just let people 
tell their version of their story and see how the truth holds up to people. And it's such a different thing than any kind of religious leader because you just you said it so well. Everyone was just telling their version of the story and it had nothing to do with how people should expect their their experience should be on being ex-Mormon or how their experience should be on trying out entheogens, which is so in direct contrast to, I'm thinking of Joseph Smith as an example. His sacred experience is this sets the tone and the groundwork for what everyone else's sacred experiences can be. If you have a, if you have a different sacred experience, Joseph Smith's going to write another chapter of the Doctrine and Covenants and call you out and say, no, 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 you didn't do it right, you <laughs> butthole. It, you, you, this is how it's done. And Joseph Smith would do that. He would. And That's your story whole... was the exact opposite of that, which is just, listen, these are their individual stories. Take what you want from it. It's not anything to do with how anybody else should experience life. I loved it so much. I should ask a question at the end of this. I, I guess my question would be to you. Let's, if you're willing to get a little more personal with now some of your experience, you talked about growing up and not being Mormon, but the the other half of the title of our, or the name of our podcast is Mushrooms. Mm -hmm. So can we talk a little bit about any experiences that you've had, or has this given you any kind of, oh, I kind of want to dig in a little bit more and see this or anything like that? Yeah, it's, it's a good question. Um, my experience with psychedelics is pretty damn limited actually um i did <laughs> my buddies and i when we were in high school we were big into hunter s thompson so when we turned 21 we went down to vegas we had a and ate the shrooms we split it up between us on a friday night in vegas the, the one guy that we're really worried about he took half of it and the and the other my buddy and i we took a, a quarter each and excuse me um a 16th each and no, less than that. I'm, my math, my, I'm, I'm bad at actions. <laughs> well, we had an eighth and my buddy got half of it. And then we got the, we, another guy and I split the other half. Anyway. Um, and that was something else that was just, that was wild. It wasn't, I mean, like it wasn't in any way spiritual or, um, it didn't unlock anything. I didn't take anything away from it, but a good time. But it was, I'll never yeah. forget it because it was just the lights, the colors. Uh, <laughs> we were, we were on a, uh, the monorail between what, Mirage and Monte Carlo or something or Bellagio. And I had this water bottle in my hand and I had the bottle cap in my mouth because I just needed something to chew on. And I was just squeezing this <laughs> bottle going, <laughs> it was like it was be i was really weird but what i realized was you're in vegas you can be as weird as you want as long as you're not costing them money they're not going to make any trouble with you so um so that was like my you know and i think if you talk to i i've talked to people who are very professional individuals now and who are researching this stuff um and they I think everybody kind of has a story like this um, at a certain point. Um, but other than that, my experience with, with uh, psychedelics is like extremely limited. And um, as I was producing this piece and doing all this reporting and, and uh, reading 
um, Dr. Bill Richards' book, Sacred Knowledge, which I highly recommend. Um, Bill Richards is a, just a remarkable, I get to speak with him twice. And uh, for those who don't know, Bill Richards is one of the, as I, as I call him in the piece, one of the old dons of psychedelic research. He was, um, he's been studying these substances since the early 60s. Um, he, we had to cut this out of the final piece, but his first experience was uh, at a research university where he was uh, working in Germany. And there was this program where they were studying psilocybin. He'd never heard of it. And a couple of his friends had had hallucinations. They'd participated and they'd had these hallucinations. And he was like, I've never had a hallucination. What's that like? Um, so he went and he did it and it was a, it was a low dose, but he had a completely earth shattering experience that uh, changed him for the rest of his life. And so he began studying these substances. He was the last individual to give a psilocybin dose before research was shut down. Um, in the, I think it was, this was in the seventies because research at the Maryland Psychiatric Institute continued kind of, uh, after the prohibitions against, uh, psychedelics were instituted in 67. Um, and he was one of the first individuals to, uh, give a dose when research uh, started back up in, I believe the early two thousands at uh, Johns Hopkins. He's guided people on hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of trips, and he's had a lot of trips himself. Um, and why am I talking about Bill Richards now? Um, because of his book, Sacred Knowledge. Oh, oh, so I was reading all this stuff and talking with all these people who have these incredible stories to share about the power of psychedelics. And so I would tell my wife, all these stories and like, oh my God, psychedelics can like, this study says this, and this study says this, and this guy told me this, and how we changed his life. And she got really annoyed. <laughs> she got really tired of hearing me talk about psychedelics because I was just, I was so enthusiastic about them. Um, and then one day after I'd been working on this for six months and been berating her with all this stuff about psychedelics and she was tired of it, I realized, and I said to her, it's like, you know, like my interest in these substances and my enthusiasm for them isn't driven by my own experience. It's driven by the stories that I've heard and, and the research that I've done and, and what I've learned. And I don't know how, like, I don't know the tiniest iceberg tip of what these substances, the power of these substances is. And I, I don't think many of us do. Um, but it is, it is difficult. I, I, for me, it's difficult to imagine that a substance that can um, obviate the fear of death, which is the most existential fear that anybody will ever have. It's like at the crux of the human condition, our awareness of death and our impending death, something that can help you cope with that or, or even transcend it. You know, as the Greeks said, if you die before you die, then you don't die when you die. Oh. That is, that's a miracle. That's a miracle drug. Um, and I actually it was my, mother-in-law who used that she said that sounds like a miracle drug i was like yeah it does because it kind of is they kind of are under the right circumstances i mean you always have to i think add that proviso especially as a responsible journalist under the right circumstances in the right setting setting and uh, the proper preparations and the proper um uh, uh follow-up um so uh yeah long answer Honestly, Great I answer. Ben, I Great thought answer. this the first mm -hmm. time we talked. I, I I feel like you and I probably were switched at, or we were probably like separated at birth. Like you're, you hit on all the notes that I, you know, that I want. When you're talking about Hunter S. Thompson, his 
his article about the Kentucky Derby, I know everybody loves Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas, but like his article about the Kentucky Derby is quite possibly my favorite thing to read. I read it three times, four times a year. Wow. I just, it, I mean, anyway. I, it's an incredible piece. We can I, cut me, yeah. we can cut me saying, hey, let's be friends out of the podcast. <laughs> but, let's, yeah. Doug. Yeah. I just wanted to say real quick, Benjamin, you've brought this up like at least four times saying that you don't feel like you're going to tell the story the right way or you're not an expert or kind of like talking yourself down. But like when you were mentioning how you were kind of rewriting the stories that you were told, I literally had a vision of you channeling the information. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like you are, you said you're siphoning it through Ben and putting your own flair on it, but I feel like you're actually channeling it, whether that's from the people that you interviewed or from the collective conscious. But I feel like you need to give yourself more credit because you're great at your job and you do it perfectly. Yeah. yeah. I, that, that's uh, wonderful to hear, Shalise. I, I really appreciate that. Um, I think a, a journalist's job, especially in, in instances like this, is to um, synthesize everything that you learned. And, and then, like I said, kind of reflect that back. Um, and I had somebody tell me once that once you, once you've done this kind of work, right. Once you've talked to all these people and you've gone around and you've read all this stuff and you put it in one place, you, you kind of, you are an expert on it because you've done work that nobody else has and you've made connections mm-hmm. that nobody else has. Um, I maybe have developed a kind of false sense of modesty um, that, that Hemingway certainly didn't have. And I've been trying to uh, uh, you know, feel into that space, that Hemingway in space of, of confidence and bravado. Um, but it's kind of just not my style. <laughs> Speaking of which, we got to let you go to get to get to episode three, which I'm also going to be watching tonight. But uh, Ben, people are going to hear this episode and they're going to want to track you down. Um, whether that's for better or worse, sorry. Hopefully, just gonna, hopefully we're better. Yeah. <laughs> are there, are, how can people find you? Uh, what are ways people could support you? Oh, uh, I don't need any support. Um, I appreciate it. Um, well, pardon, I shouldn't say that. Um, everybody needs support, right? Um, right. Uh, I have a website, benjaminbombard.com, um, with a bunch of my articles there. Um, I think, um, what I would just ask people to do is like, if you've got great stories, hit me up. Um, Cause I, I'd love to, to help tell them um, and just be kind to each other. I think that's the best thing. Uh, I would, that's the first thing I would ask is just be nice to each other, especially when you're out there driving. Fucking A, man. <laughs> right? That's a great answer to the question. How can people support you? Be kind to each other. Yes. Before we completely let you go, though, I would like to know real quick, did anything surprise you from the article? Like from your research? Uh, yeah, I think this is something that came up a bit earlier and, and um, I wanted to kind of toss it your guys' way. Um, the What I heard from a number of people was a um, dissatisfaction with the LDS church, especially kind of the modern LDS church and what it, what it became. But um, a real affection for its founder, for Joseph Smith, and the mystic visions that that he had, um, and and um, just what a what a creative cat he was. Um, I don't know. Does that like you were kind of saying something like that earlier, Doug? Um, 
Does that resonate with you guys? Because I, I heard that quite a lot, like this, yeah. this, um, this not a reverence, because I think that this, this is something we've talked about on Radio West before, that in Mormonism, there can seem to be a kind of um, deification of the leadership um, that they, they hold um, maybe an inordinately um, revered place in the society and in the culture and in the religion. Um, but how do you guys feel about Joseph Smith? I'll start real quick. Okay. Because one of the, one of the, uh, one of the surprises that I've had is same thing. So many people in our community have also, it's like, there's, you know, I mean, there's definitely all sides of the spectrum and people (laughs) that are in our community, but like, I just have a hard time with that, but, but I do give this is that there, there was a visionary aspect in that early church when Joseph Smith was still around when he was like, and when if you read the, like the book Rough Stone Rolling, I read it mm-hmm. still as a believing Mormon. And it was just like he would open something up and get a new, he was just like bursting with new ideas and visions. And, and you know, I think that even got the best of him to mm-hmm. how much he was envisioning or how much he got caught up in all of that. And then, yeah, Brigham Young then took the church and took it in a very different direction. Um, I just have a hard time with Joseph Smith. <laughs> so mm-hmm. that's our yeah, yeah, I get that. He was a dreamer though, wasn't he? He was a dreamer and he was a visionary and you, you know, um, and he, and you know, we, we talked about this, uh, we recorded an episode with uh, Glenn from infants on thrones and he called me out on it because I was saying the same thing. And he's like, cause I was like, what's so creative about Mormonism. He's like, for the time it was pretty visionary mm-hmm. and pretty expansive. And I was like, you know what? I don't give it that credit sometimes. Cause I'm looking at it from the, you know, 2020 lens, you know, mm-hmm. I think Should another, we, uh, yeah, oh. pardon. Go ahead. Shalise. Hmm? Oh, um, J dog. I don't know. I think <laughs> he, he did have a lot of vision. I'll give him credit for that. And he had ideas, big ideas. And whether that was through plant medicines that somehow got left out of the book of Mormon or just really big ideas about what the world should be and what God should look like and what the role should be. But I feel like it ended with him. There really hasn't been anything crazily visionary or life-changing since him and all the prophets are, are supposed to speak directly to God and all we get are take your vitamins and don't be a lazy learner. <laughs> it just feels kind of flat. So I don't know. I feel like maybe it started with good intentions. Maybe it grew into greed. And then the rest is kind of history from there. Yeah. The only thing I'll add is that um, I have no reverence for Joseph Smith. Uh, Mm -hmm. You know, when people, when, when, when Tom Sawyer is scamming neighborhoods, kids to take over whitewashing the fence, right? Like, it's like, Oh, that rambunctious little scamp, Tom Sawyer, he's clever and he's figured out this way to trick kids into doing the job he doesn't want to do. We all look at that and he's a beloved character and it's like, oh, isn't that cute? For me, Joseph Smith's Tom Sawyer boyish adventurerness stops at scamming people out of their livelihoods, their family relations, their daughters, wives, that type of thing. It becomes a thing. It, it becomes a bridge too far. It becomes something that I can't, um, I can say, wow, he was a visionary and he was an adventurer and he did all these crazy things. And he really led a movement that is now however many million strong, but he was also a dirty old man. Uh, mm. And I, I got no, 
I got nothing for him when it comes to that. I mean, you know, if you're, if you're using your scams to fuck 14 year old girls, then mm. I got a 15 year old daughter and you ain't, you know, I'm yeah. with the mob in that situation. <laughs> Literally. Yeah. Yeah. I think um, maybe to end up a bit where we began, where my story began uh, on this was with David. And when I was talking with David, he had a, um, he had a, like a manila folder up on his camera, hiding himself. And then after we talked, I think I probably talked with David for two hours. My computer nearly died. My infant son broke in a couple times. Um, but I was just so um, taken with his story. And as we um, were kind of getting near the end, he suddenly pulled the manila folder away. And I got to see this man, he, you know, he revealed himself um, in kind of the same way that he was revealed to himself on his psychedelic experience. And, and so many people are. Um, so I, I guess I was, I was surprised by, um, I, I was surprised by how forthcoming and um, generous people were. And um, I'm, I guess I, the one thing I didn't get to do in my podcast that I would like to take the opportunity here to do is just thank all those people again, who took the time to talk with, to me, including Mike and Doug and, and all of the guests who come on your, your show to share their story and bear their testimony for lack of a better word about um, their experiences uh, because uh, it helps us all feel like less fraud failures uh, to know that we're all struggling um, and that there are ways to heal and that um, regardless of our cultural background or religious affiliation, past or present, um, that we uh, can come together on kind of the shared challenges of life and, and help talk it out and um, support each other and um, tell each other just how great we are. Because we are. You are. You all are. And I'm really grateful for the opportunity to come on your podcast to talk about this. It's, it's a great honor. Amen. Man, what a chance. Yes, Chalice, I was just going to say, what a chance for me to finally utter amen and meet. <laughs> like, thank you, Ben. That was awesome. Uh, you're fucking great, man. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you so much for your yeah. peace, for everything. So awesome. For Radio West. Really? Radio West is, you said, you are, guys are doing an invaluable service in yeah, Utah. Yeah, for sure. And even outside Utah. In yeah, like, I mean, I still tune in here in California and I love it. And so thank you. and. Yeah. Enjoy some Walt, Walt, Walt Whitman. No, no Hemingway. I talk about Whitman a lot, Ben. So that's what he's probably. Yeah, well, yeah, those are, those are good, uh, good characters to have kind of tucked in your head. I think so. Yeah. yeah. All right. Thanks guys. Really. Right appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. Well, thanks guys. Awesome. Right. Take care. Bye. I hope this isn't the last. It will not be the last. Not the last time I'm on your show, but the last time we we uh, communicate. Uh, it won't be the last of either of those things. Oh, I'm reaching out for sure. Yeah. And we're Great. tripping together. <laughs> we are tripping together. Yeah. All right, All right. Love you guys. Thanks a lot. Bye guys. Bye. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to Mormons on Mushrooms podcast. We have so much fun recording it. And if you love it, we would absolutely love it. If you could leave a review on wherever you get your podcasts, it would really help our visibility so more people can listen to it and be enlightened and hear our crazy stories. So thanks again for tuning in. 